Now, I'd like for a little, just for a little while this evening to look at um, particularly the section from verse 21, righteousness through faith, uh, verse 21 to the end of the chapter, um, and the doctrine that is contained therein, that we are justified by faith alone. But before doing that, I want you to uh, engage your minds, which you will do anyway, of course, as uh, you listen to the sermon. But engage your, engage your imaginations, just for a moment, okay? Are you all engaged? Good. And I want you all to be, as you can imagine yourselves, transported uh, by some amazing means to the day of judgment. Okay? So I want you all to imagine yourselves uh, in the day of judgment, standing before God. And you as an individual are ushered uh, into God's presence. And maybe for the first time ever, you appreciate how holy God is. There's that picture in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah meets with God and he is so holy that he he doesn't know what to do. He he can't stand in his presence. He is so absolutely powerful, pure, good, but scary, fearful, absolutely terrifying. And uh, he is so holy that you just, can you imagine that you just want to run away? You want to run from his presence because maybe again for the first time you've fully understood what it is to be a sinner, to be unclean, and you feel out of place, very out of place before his uh, amazing holiness. And we will clearly, you will clearly understand, and I will clearly understand how much we fall short of his glory. It's as if we would feel it on that day, absolutely, that you're rightly standing before him. And you feel condemned and subject to his justice. And even an enemy of him because of that. And you can accept that guilt. And you can see his justice. And you're not arguing against it. It's absolutely clear for you to see. And you bow your head expecting the verdict and the declaration of being separate from him. But in that moment of silence, there's a break in the cry and God from the throne looks at you and says, Innocent. You're innocent. You're forgiven. Your debt has been paid. More than that, you are righteous. You're as righteous as God in that moment. And more than that, he comes off his throne and bows low to where you are and hands you adoption papers and says... You're my child. You're part of my family. Welcome to my heavenly home. 
And in many ways, that is the reality of what justification is here and now for every Christian. The scenario that I spoke of there, kind of as we look forward into the last day of judgment, that scenario has already taken place for the Christian the moment that they believed. And that's the doctrine that I would like to look at for for a few minutes this evening. That uh, through faith in Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus Christ and through all that he has done, he has already taken our guilty verdict and we receive his innocence. And that verdict has been brought forward. And the moment we believe uh, we are justified, as he says, verse 24, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by the Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Because justification is a legal term. It's a legal verdict. It's a legal declaration from the judge. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not a, a description of us as much as a legal declaration made by God that we are made innocent and uh, we are declared innocent by him and our status has been changed forever from guilty to innocent at the moment that we believed. So, you know, no matter how um, undramatic our moment of conversion is or even how little we understand uh, the moment of it and when it happened and when it maybe seemed to be very gradual for us, there was a moment uh, in God's in God's calendar, in God's time, in God's uh, event calendar when we were moved from a place of death to a place of life, from a place of guilt to a place of innocence because of our faith, because of uh, Jesus Christ and uh, through our faith in him. And that's a wonderful reality for us because the moment we believe at our, t- our eternal uh, perspective and prospective has changed completely. And it's important for us to remind ourselves of that truth. Our salvation is secure. Uh, We can't lose that declaration. We can't move away from that and uh, no longer uh, move from life back to death. That is a, a reverse process that uh, is not accounted for in God's uh, uh, particular uh, diet of assembly, uh, of, of salvation for us. And I just want to notice several points uh, briefly for us this evening, which are important uh, to encourage us and to build up our faith and to understand what God has done for us. I think it's important to remember that this doctrine of justification reminds us uh, of the reality of God's wrath, God's judgment, uh, rather unpopular uh, concept for us uh, in these days when we don't really like to be judged by anyone. Um, And uh, we find ourselves... uh, 
only wanting to, to be judged really by our own standards and not by anyone's, particularly not by a God that we, we feel sometimes that we can't see. But Ephesians 2, 3 reminds us of that very clearly. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath because he's a just God and we had rebelled against his goodness and his perfection and his lordship over our lives both in our first parents and then uh, in our own lives both in birth and in uh, behavior and there is an inevitability about God's judgment against sin and his wrath is just and settled justice and wrath against sin and that's a good thing that's a good thing in this world of evil and destruction and pain and misery and injustice because we know and we celebrate the fact that God reminds us that it is not random evil that is happening and that people will not and society will not, uh, and Satan will not get off with uh, uh, evil and injustice and brutality and sin. And the Bible is full of warnings that remind us of that. And it's imperative for us not to just bury our heads in the sand about that and trifle with God as if he is the God of our back pocket. That he's a God that is... Uh, our servant, our slave, rather than the God of the universe, objectively. Yes, spiritually, but objectively he is God. He lives outside of this world, but he is sovereign over this world. Uh, He is a spirit, but he is a sovereign spirit. And he is tangible and he is real. And he is a person and he is a God who is uh, just and perfect and good and is the one to whom we are accountable. We sung that in the, some of the Psalms that we were singing and that is an important concept for us. For people to stand before God in the day of judgment and not be covered in the blood of Christ uh, symbolically, not to be justified freely by uh, God's grace that comes through Jesus Christ is a truly and utterly terrifying thought for people and so when we're praying for our three friends over this 50 period 50 day period who are not christians we want to keep that in mind that we're praying for something that is absolutely fundamentally crucially important for them that this doctrine reminds us that Uh, we need to be justified. We need to be declared innocent. We can do it on our own. It's not something we can just roll up into God's presence and uh, play a kind of uh, uh, rather uh, scrabbly hand before him and say, will you accept me on this basis of what I've tried? Uh, Because he has given us his son. And however loving or significant or nice our friends are and many of them are much nicer and much more loving and much more significant than we are than I am that without Jesus Christ they're in a perilous position they will potentially mock that 
Um, but we hope through our lives and through our witness and through our sincerity and through our care that they will come to see that we have a relationship with this living God through Jesus Christ that gives us a solemnity, a joy, of course, uh, but also uh, a, a willingness to look beyond uh, the week and the weekend and uh, see a broader picture and come to more uh, fundamental conclusions about the reality of life and the, the, the reality of evil uh, and of good and of Christ and of what he claims. So it is a reminder of the perilous position we are in without Christ. And I think probably, certainly speaking for myself, growing up in a Christian home, uh, hearing that truth all the time, we do take it for granted. So that there is that reminder. Also, we're reminded that our salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This righteousness, verse 22 This righteousness from God, that is, in other words, it's not a righteousness that's based on the law, uh, doing good things from the law. This righteousness, he says, comes from God, uh, sorry, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's a great verse. It's an absolutely stunning statement. And it's stunning in its simplicity. It's stunning in its overarching truth that... uh, the gift of righteousness of being justified through faith in Jesus Christ, it comes to everyone who believe. It's all of Jesus. So, you know, we, we, we must maintain in our Christian lives the centrality of Jesus, don't we? Not just in our own lives, not just in our own relationship, but in our own theology and in our own defense of that theology. It's it's fundamental and absolutely crucial. We can't move away from that to something else, to some other kind of theological emphasis that emphasizes something other than Jesus Christ and being saved and justified through him alone. We are rescued by uh, uh, putting our faith in him, and faith in itself is his gift of God to us. There's nothing, in other words, that we offer towards our justification. It is from uh, God and it's by faith in Jesus Christ. The cross is that there's no works that we can add, nothing whatsoever. Nothing, there's nothing that we can balance off what God has done for us and say, well, even just tipping the scales. It's not that he goes all the way just about there and, well, we've got to just tip the scales by being a good person now and again or believing in certain things in a certain way, we can do nothing to tip the scales. God says, you know, we, he gives us that illustration of being dead and uh, we are saved, spiritually dead, and we're saved uh, through his finished work. No works whatsoever. Is it hugely exclusive? Hugely exclusive. So we're, we're, an, we're an exclusive group. Okay? Not in a proud way, not in, a, not in a separatist way, well, at one level, uh, but it's exclusive in what we believe. And we must never move from that uh, because it's not our exclusivity. It's what Jesus claims for himself and what makes sense. Uh, if you know your heart, I, as I know my heart, I know that there's nothing I can do to stand before God in that day and for him to accept me because of what I've done. You know, even my best things, are tainted 
uh, by all kinds of ulterior motives that God can see into and see through. And there's pride and selfishness and uh, all of that uh, goes with it. It's imperative that we are united to Jesus. Imperative that in your life and mine that we are united to Jesus, resting on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, depending on Jesus, living uh, in relationship with Jesus. Uh, So we are saved uh, through faith in Christ alone. And, And that reminds us, because as he says, you know, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's an ongoing, I believe an ongoing, as well as a one-off conscious decision to leave sin and to follow Christ. No one is born, in other words, ready for heaven because of uh, the fall, because of uh, uh, our, our fallen sinful human natures, and then because of what we do. So, even if we've been brought up in a Christian home and it's kind of come gently, I think we probably find that the longer we go on, there's more of a conscious decision to leave sin behind and follow Jesus Christ. There's an awareness, the more we go on, of the, the lack of innocence that there is within us and the need we have uh, for a Savior to move. So there's, move, there's always this movement in our lives from uh, self Uh, to Christ. And our union with Christ, we are justified and made right and we are then united with Christ. That union with Christ provides for our holiness. In other words, we are justified through our faith in Jesus, but works of righteousness will follow our faith in Jesus. So we will do works of righteousness. We will follow Jesus. We will obey him. Because that will be the natural trajectory of our lives. Because that is where our heart has been moved and changed towards. Towards serving him and loving him. So we're made right. We are made right by Jesus. But we will walk right with Jesus and follow him. So it's not that you know that we are made right with Jesus and justified, and then we go, wah, it doesn't matter how we live. You can live any way. I'm justified. I'm forgiven. I'm free. But rather, uh, the union with Christ, the union that we have with him provides for a walk of holiness. And if we have no interest in holiness, and no interest in obedience, we need to challenge our hearts, and our, what we think our union with Christ is. So we're, we're reminded of the reality of God's wrath, that we're reminded that uh, uh, we are saved through Christ alone, and we're also reminded here, particularly uh, in verse 25, that it is Christ's actual work on the cross that that justifies us. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Very clear language. This language is disputed by some in the church as they want to move away from the idea of a God of wrath who pours out justice on his own son, forgetting that 
God himself is, is triune and he's intimately involved in the solution and the pain of that solution and the depth of love that drives that solution. But it is Christ's actual work that justifies us. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. It's a sacrifice of atonement. And through that work, we are justified by what he's done. In Galatians 3, 3, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so there's this, this part of the work that goes right through, and we've been looking at it all the way through Hebrews in our morning worship, which reminds us of the preparation of the people to understand the separation and uh, the, uh, the need for uh, someone to come and to die uh, and to shed his blood. For, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And it was the work that Christ did on the cross. Historically, uh, there, uh, Christ is a person. But it's not just Christ as a person that we believe in. So people will say, well, I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I love his teaching. I love his, his example. I love what he uh, taught. Uh, and I love the way he interacted with people. And, and he's absol- there, there's an abs- absolute truth at one level in that, and that we follow and worship Jesus because he is God. But if Jesus had just come and, and lived like that and then just kind of made his way back to heaven in a lift or something, then it wouldn't have been any good. Because it's not just this example that we need. We needed the cross. That's why he came. He came to atone for us. It's absolutely crucial to our understanding of who Jesus is. Not that he's just a nice guy. He is. But uh, that he is the redeemer. He is the atoning sacrifice. From before the creation of the world, this is God's plan to redeem us uh, to himself. Agreed within Uh, In the mystery of the Trinity, his blood was shed for us as our substitute. God's wrath was on him because he hung on a tree and he took God's wrath. Isn't that, again, I know it's an old truth, but it's nonetheless a remarkable truth that he took the curse of God or the judgment of God We've got a different kind of understanding of the curse of God, uh, the use of the word curse, maybe. But the judgment of God, um, and he stood condemned in our place. And uh, we are bought back, redeemed, bought back the price of his blood. It's a spiritual transaction. You know, it's not that Jesus went to Jerusalem wanted to rebuild the temple in some way, was misunderstood, ended up on a cross. Uh, it was all a huge mistake. And a few years later, the disciples thought, let's try and make a religion out of this. It was, it's not like that at all. And as we understand the, the preparatory nature of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system and, and everything, it reminds us this is the absolutely the, the crucial fulcrum of all history what happened on the cross. And we are there if we're Christians. You're there. Because your sins have been taken and they have been dealt with on the cross in time 
and in history, uh, it is his actual work that makes a huge uh, difference. We, he receives our condemnation. We receive in his in uh, in place of that we receive his goodness and his imputed righteousness. That's the great thing, isn't it? He takes our guilt. So we stand this evening, we sit this evening, you sit this evening, I stand, you sit. Innocent. With his righteousness. So God looks on us this evening, and you'll think it's not a great thing to be a Christian, and I know you're tired this evening, and there's lots in your mind, and there's lots of distractions, and uh, uh, we've heard this truth before, but isn't it a great thing that tonight you sit as a believer, and you're as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. Because his righteousness is imputed to us. Uh, It's not, you see, the verdict from God isn't that um, you're guilty, but I'm not going to punish you. It's rather you're as innocent as my son. That's how he sees us. That is what justification means is we are taken into that place of being as privileged and as innocent and as full of life as Jesus himself. We recognize that great truth that we are given an inheritance that is undefiled and we have eternal life. Christ is now in us. We are children of God. So the cross must remain the center of our understanding of justification and also of our understanding of ourselves and of our salvation. What happened historically changes everything. It's not just that Jesus died so that, yeah, if you choose to believe, that's great. If you don't, you don't. It's that he, he specifically achieved a salvation for every single one who will believe. And that gives your life and my life as Christians a great sense of dignity and a great sense of significance. And uh, you want the cross to be central to your life, to your understanding of Jesus, the understanding of God, and also to how we, we witness, how we share the gospel. When we share our salvation, we're not just saying to people, you know, come along to church, it's a really nice uh, uh, lifestyle choice. Uh, we're not asking people to be moral. We're not telling them to give to charity. Uh, we're pointing them to Jesus Christ. And uh, this uh, amazing transaction that was won uh, on our behalf to allow us to be forgiven and free and alive. So we, we see that it is uh, Christ's actual work that justifies us. And that justification itself is... Uh, an act of God. This is God's act. It's God's declaration. And verse 26, he did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's that whole idea of him being uh, the judge in the courtroom uh, and the declaration having been made. And he makes that declaration And that declaration is an act of God. It's not a process of God. So you don't come along uh, and kind of 
hope that you believe and hope that you will become justified over time. Uh, There's no conditional period. There's no remand period. There's no bail period. There's no probation period. The moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are immediately innocent before God. Sins, past, present, and future dealt with. Justified. Made right. Does that mean we don't ask for forgiveness? Does that mean we don't sin? Neither of these things. But if my child comes to me having done something wrong, or if my child does something wrong, I want my child to come and say sorry. Even though I know that I'll absolutely, completely and fully and unconditionally forgive them, I still want them to come and say sorry. Just because they know that they are forgiven and will be forgiven doesn't mean that I want them to never say sorry. And so with uh, Christ, his word makes clear that though he will absolutely forgive us 70 times 7. Why? Because he's just. And he's already, the price has already been paid. He'll not make the payment twice. But he wants us to come and ask for forgiveness when we do wrong. He wants us to love him. He wants us to uh, recognize our need. And he wants us to accept uh, that we uh, fall short of his glory, but that we will be forgiven. And it's a, a tremendous Uh, reality for us, that we're all equal uh, under God as Christians. We are sinners saved by grace. That's the basis of our fellowship. There's no snobbery. There's no pride. There's no looking down our noses at anyone else. We are all in the same boat as believers. And the message we have for the world in which we live is the same, is that uh, God's grace is full and free. And it is a grace that transforms. And it's an amazing picture of his love, uh, the commitment of his love, his unmitigated mercy to us. And uh, we rejoice that we are justified freely by his grace. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, help us to understand and know uh, what it means to be made clean, what it means to be safe and secure in the arms of Jesus Christ. Help us to live humbly and graciously with that truth and help us to love you and love uh, your ways because you uh, justify us, you transform us, you change our hearts. You take away bitterness and pride and anger and frustration and rebellion and you enable us to um, see ourselves differently and see the world around us differently, and above all, see God differently. We remind ourselves of the uh, terror of thinking of a God uh, who judges us, but that terror surely is mitigated and uh, finds a completely different perspective when we see that same God nailed to the cross, um, choosing uh, to shed his own blood, the lamb that was slain, uh, 
the good shepherd to mix the metaphors that lays down his life for the sheep. And we thank you for that and for your solution and your answer. And we thank you that it is a gift, free and full. And may we accept that gift and live in the light of that gift and not misunderstand the truth that your word presents. For Jesus' sake, amen.